For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we we think think we're we're funny funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined by Los Angeles Dodgers host and reporter on Sportsnet LA, Alana Rizzo. Alana talks about learning to grow a thick skin, the wrong reason for wanting to get into sports journalism, and the importance of being willing to work for opportunities in order to earn them. We also talk about our shared passion for dogs and Alana's Guidry's Guardian Foundation, which has saved over 100 dogs. This episode is filled with excellent advice, stories, and women supporting women. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And with that, let's get to it. Alana, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast, been following your career, and as a big Dodgers fan, I'm even more excited to have you on today. No, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, you've had obviously a big couple days. The Dodgers clinched their eighth uh, NL West championship, which is very exciting, Or uh, so that's very good, and playoffs start next week, so appreciate you taking the time. Uh, so let's jump right in. Uh, you've been doing this for some time covering baseball. As I said, I've been following your career. But for our listeners, can you just talk a little bit about your career journey that led you to Sportsnet LA? Sure. I started this career path very late in life. I actually didn't go back to college until I was 28 years old to get a master's degree in journalism. My undergraduate degree was more of a business emphasis. It was international business with a marketing emphasis. And I just was not fulfilled in that industry. So I went back to school and received a master's in journalism and then really started from the bottom and had to work my way up. I started in Wichita Falls, Texas. I was there as the weekend sports reporter, weekday sports anchor for nine months. And then from there, I went to Market 82 in Madison, Wisconsin at the CBS affiliate there and did that for three years in the same capacity as a a weekend sports reporter and anchor and and weekday uh, reporter as well. And then I had an opportunity to go back home. I'm from Colorado. So I had an opportunity to go back and cover my alma mater, the University of Colorado, as well as the University of Denver, the Colorado Rockies. And that's where my baseball career started, covering the Rockies for five seasons. And then I had an opportunity to go national with MLB Network. I, I did that for two years. And then the Dodgers launched their new network, Sportsnet LA, in 2014. And I happened to be covering the National League in the postseason in 13. 
mm-hmm. and had an opportunity to speak with who is now my boss, the vice president of marketing and broadcasting, Lon Rosen. And now I'm already in my seventh season covering the Dodgers. So it was a lot of moving around and I've moved, you know, state to state five times in, in 10 years. And it's just hard to believe that this is my seventh year and, and their eighth straight division title. I mean, one could say you're a good luck charm. Well, they, I would say that, but they started winning before I got here. So unfortunately, I can't I can't use that claim to fame because this is their eighth straight and I've only been here for seven years. I can still say it. I'll go <laughs> ahead and say it even. <laughs> Who knows what it would have happened in these those seven years if you hadn't been there. Um, if you're ta- you talked a lot about you know moving around and starting in, in smaller markets. Can you just kind of talk about that for our listeners? This podcast you know, is very much for women who work in sports and women who want to work in sports. And can you just talk about what you learned in each of those places and in being flexible and moving around when opportunities present themselves? Well, I think if you want to be on air, you have to have that conviction that you're going to be willing to make sacrifices and do things you don't necessarily want to do. Nobody starts on air in Los Angeles or New York. It's just very difficult to do that. You have to uh, pay your dues and move around and do things that you you don't necessarily want to do in terms of being able to, you know, write all of your own stuff, carry all of your own camera equipment, edit everything, you know, be in 10 places at one time, do the job of 10 people as, as one person. And it's also important to go to these smaller markets because the audiences, the viewership group is a lot more forgiving. When I was in Wichita Falls, Texas, it was market 142 out of 200 television markets. And those are the places where you cut your teeth and you make your mistakes. And typically you're not crucified for those mistakes because people tend to be a lot more forgiving than they are in these larger markets where they have a higher expectation of a, of a local news and sports product. So, you know, I learned a lot uh, in a short amount of time and, you know, learned what I didn't want to do as well. And I also gained an appreciation of what everybody does in different jobs, all, all of our cameramen and our editors and our producers and our directors and you know, it takes so many different people to put together a good broadcast and you learn an appreciation of that, too. So from Wichita Falls, nine months there to Madison, Wisconsin, you know, three years there and covering really good college sports programs at the University of Wisconsin. And then, you know, getting into the the professional scene with the Green Bay Packers and the Milwaukee Brewers and the Milwaukee Bucks and then having an opportunity to come home, which is what I really wanted to do. I had one out in my contract when I was in Madison and it was to come back to Denver. And I had an opportunity to do so as a freelancer, which was scary, but I wanted to get back to Colorado and I did. And I was freelance for one year and then they made me full time in 2009. And I was there through 2012 when I went to MLB Network. So You know, each step along the way is a learning curve and it's a growing process. And I I highly encourage people that want to get into this business to really embrace the fact that you're going to have to move. You're going to have to make very little money to start. You're going to have to do a million jobs. You know, now they call them multimedia journalists. When I was starting out, they were backpack journalists, basically one man bands, one woman bands um, doing everything, um, you know, to get the job done. And it's part of the process. And this is a very, it's hard enough to get into the industry. It's harder to stay. And it's just a learning curve and and a weed out process. I mean, I have people ask me on a weekly basis, how I get into this industry and what it takes. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't want to move. And you have to, and you have to, I didn't want to leave Denver, but you know, it's important to be able to pay your dues because for each job, you know, there's 500 people that want it. Mm Mm-hmm. So look, looking back on that time, 
Is there a criticism that you received because you talked about cutting your teeth uh, in, in some of the smaller markets? Was there a criticism you received then that you were able to use now to help your career? You know, I've always just been a believer in myself and I'd bet on myself anytime. And, you know, I think you just learn how to grow pretty thick skin. When I was in Wisconsin and I went up to Lambeau to cover the Packers uh, for a game in Green Bay, um, it was during OTAs, um, training camps, and it was the first time they started having two-a-days. And it was the first day that they were all in full pads. And I remember distinctly interviewing Al Harris, who was a defensive back at the time, about first day in full pads. And he was like basically looking me up and down, looking at my mic flag, you know, really a sour look on his face. And, you know, there's a lot of people that still don't think women belong in locker rooms or clubhouses or whatever, but it's just an opportunity to continue to prove that you know what you're talking about. And I, you know, I highly encourage women and men, but particularly women to make sure you do your homework and you're going to have to work twice as hard as your male counterpart until you establish a relationship that you know what you're talking about. I mean, because I think people automatically assume when they see a woman that she's not going to be as knowledgeable as her male counterpart. And I think over the course of time, you just work towards that to where your reputation precedes you. And I've never been treated better because I'm a woman, but I've never been treated worse because I'm a woman either, other than, you know, by some athletes. But as far as like colleagues in the industry, I think, you know, I think one of the biggest compliments you can receive is that you're a good journalist, not a good female journalist. Take the Mm -hmm. gender out of it. You know, am I a good reporter? Am I good? I'm a good journalist. I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm male or female, the gender issue should be non-existent. And that's what I'd rather get to the point where it's not about, oh, she's my best, my best female reporter. Or he's my, you know, my favorite male. No one ever says he's my favorite male reporter. Yeah. No one says that. Nobody says that. So that's what I'm hoping we can, you know, we can get to. How close do you think we are to that? Um, I really don't know. You know, there's days I think that we're we're beyond it and we're really making a lot of progress and a lot of strides. And then you have a gentleman that's been in a Chicago market for three plus decades commenting on Maria Taylor's apparel on Monday Night Football. I mean, this is a job that this this man would absolutely die to have. And and she has worked her butt off. She's well accomplished. She's well prepared. She has earned every bit of the opportunity. It's not given to her. She has earned every bit of the opportunity to be on Monday night football. It was her first ever time doing it. And that's the, that's the comment that he has to make. It's like, I hope that was worth your career because you're gone now. And for him to say something so ridiculous, I mean, honestly, like if she was naked, you don't say something about somebody like that. That's earned that position. And she was very appropriately dressed. So, you know, that type of stuff. I'm not certain that, that's ever going to go away. I think, you know, people certainly are thinking more now before they speak only because they don't want to lose their employment, not necessarily because they feel that, you know, women have, have earned those positions. Um, it's unfortunate that that even that that even crossed his mind to get to the point where he hit send. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this, I've had you know, we're always talking about building women up in the industry. And and I think that's so critical and so important. And I have so many dear friends of mine that are women. In fact, I have a a text thread with six other sideline reporters in Major League Baseball that were constantly bouncing ideas off of one another and, and cheering each other on. But I've had a lot of men in this industry who have supported me along the way, too. Unfortunately, most of my bosses have all been men because those are the roles that are usually occupied by men. 
but it's also those men that have hired me. So there's, there are good men in the industry. There are a lot of good women in the industry too. And it's, you know, again, it's, it's, a, we got to get to the point where the gender issue isn't the factor. It's more, are these people qualified versus is it a male or a female? And I think that's such a good point and such an important point because, you know, it just doesn't matter. Um, when I started covering the 49ers, I mean, we're Fangirl Sports Network. I was 49ers fangirl. And I walked into the media workroom my first day. And I have to say every man in there, and it was mainly men, could not have been more welcoming and continues to be welcoming and supportive and didn't assume that because that was my brand that I didn't know what I was talking about. And I've always been respected. And there are really wonderful good men in this industry, I would say, you know, most of them probably are, or maybe a, a lot of them are. Um, but that was a very unfortunate situation, what you spoke about, what he said about Maria Taylor, what he said about Katie Nolan, and there is a history of that. Um, and it is it is really unfortunate. I mean, I uh, had, uh, when I started here with the Dodgers, you know, several years back, and we would go into championship celebrations, and I don't know how PG this, uh, this podcast is, but we would go into go championship <laughs> celebrations, and there's a a guy uh, in the in the radio world here that um, thought that it would be important to to point out that um, I'm sure that he's sure that you know in in the in the celebrations in the clubhouse that you know my brown nips would be showing. I mean, this oh. is I've I have been in this industry for 15 years. I have paid my dues. Um, and made a reputation for myself of which is a professional one. And for him to say something so degrading and so demeaning when I'm just in there doing my job and it's not as if I'm inappropriately dressed. I'm not, it's not a wet t-shirt contest. And for this jerk to say something like that, but again, it's, it's just clickbait. And that's a reflection on him, not a reflection of me or how I do my job. But this is the thing. These are the things that women in this industry have to deal with all of the time. You bring up a really good point. It's a reflection on him and not on how you do your job. And what is, so what advice would you have for young women or honestly young men, because this could happen in different ways to people in the industry. When people say things like that, you know, how do you learn to say that's about him and not me and, and kind of shine it on if you well, need to? I, I think this is where your employer also needs to step up. I mean, this is mm-hmm. where your employer has to support you as their employee and as as an individual within their organization and let that outlet, media outlet, know that that type of behavior is unacceptable. This is where you, you know, you revoke their credentials or you take a stand. You know, I, I had other another gentleman by the name of Tom Hofarth that decided it was a good opportunity to, to speak disparagingly of me and um, say some pretty ridiculous things. And I would hope that my employer the Los Angeles Dodgers as, as big of a, of an organization that they are would take a stand against that, you know, and, and they did. And, and, um, they had conversations with him about that. And I said, you know, this guy cannot be in our press box. Like this is just unacceptable. Um, but it is a reflection on how disgusting men are and, and how a lot of men, not all certainly, but a lot of men view women in in sports roles or just women in general as, as, you Mm -hmm. know, a, a lesser, a lesser gender, a lesser species, you know, the subservience, but it's a constant battle. But I have to say, you know, it's few and far between now for me. And I think people just know that that's not the type of behavior I put up with. And I will I have absolutely no problem calling you out on it. You brought up a very, very good point. 
really men who say that about women in sports, that's their feeling on women. And I think that's kind of an important thing to remember. Um, and in some ways, I think can be helpful, uh, especially for young women dealing with the idea that this isn't a personal thing. It's about them. And it certainly is their feelings generally. It doesn't, it's not just in sports. Uh, it's that idea of who you are is, is who you are everywhere. So I think that and was. I, a, and a I point. also think that, you know what, these people, these people have wives, these people mm-hmm. have sisters, these people have daughters. It's like, would you, would it be okay with you if somebody treated your daughter in the way that you treat women that you a don't even know or, or be worse that you do know, would that mm-hmm. be acceptable behavior to allow your daughter to be treated in the same way in the same light or somebody treats your wife that way? If that's okay with you, that's a massive reflection on who you are as a human being and God help you if you have daughters. That's 100% true. Going back to something you said a few minutes ago, you mentioned the text chain you have with other Major League Baseball sideline reporters, female reporters. Can you talk about a little bit more just about women, supporting women and building each other up? And it's not a competition. We're better together. Not to be totally cliche, but it's true. No, we are. We are better together. And I have, um, as I mentioned, that thread of, of very accomplished, amazingly wonderful, professional, beautiful inside and out beautiful women. And the text thread is myself, Jenny Kavnar with the Colorado Rockies, Amy Gutierrez with the San Francisco Giants, Julia Morales with the Houston Astros, Emily Jones McCoy with the Texas Rangers, Jody Jackson with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and Julia Morales, or excuse me, um, Sophia Minnart with the Milwaukee Brewers. And the seven of us have a just a, a constant ongoing thread of everything going on in the business, everything going on in our lives. We bounce ideas off of one another. We, we send each other ridiculous um, DMs and texts or not texts, but DMs from idiotic fans. Some of these conversations that you and I are talking about right now that people feel it's OK to say these things to us and. We joke that we're writing a book. We'll joke, you know, chapter 27, <laughs> why you can do your my job better than me. You know, that you know, just those just types of funny things that try to keep it a little bit lighthearted because if you take all of this in all of the time without having some sort of levity, you could really be negatively affected by this and get into a really dark place. And, and, you know, we, we champion for each other. We, we cheer each other on. Um, you know, if we see one of us, you know, receive an award or, or be, you know, Jenny Kavnar, who's been play by play for the Colorado Rockies as one of the very few females that have called a major league baseball game on television. You know, we, we applaud her, you know, Amy and, and Jody have, have been teaching. Uh, Emily has, a thousand side gigs and she's successful at every single one of them. I mean, you know, everything that we do, we try to just lift each other up and it's so important. And, and we, you know, we compare notes and we talk shop and, you know, how does your organization handle this? Or what are you guys doing in this? Or, you know, and, and everything going on with Julia, it's not Julia's fault what the Houston Astros did. Right. You know, and you know, just just supporting each other is important and knowing that you have a, a someone that is in the exact same position that you're in going through the exact same thing that you are. It's just it's just a really fun support system. And plus, you know, we kind of see what is going on in each other's lives. I mean, Julia is about to become a mom for the first time. You know, it just kind of seeing everyone go through life and this crazy business that we call sports journalism and, and just knowing that you always have somebody that will listen and you have an ear an ear all the time. So switching gears a tiny bit, um, 
you've won multiple regional Emmy awards and you were just talking about winning awards. You talked earlier about preparation. Can you talk a little bit about your process in terms of how you prepare for a game? You know, now it's so automatic for me only because I've done it for so long. Uh, This is my seventh year with the Dodgers. I've been covering baseball for 15, I think. I I don't even know anymore. Um, You know, and, and we're ingrained with them so much from the beginning of the season, you know, I, I go to spring training with them the first day, which is typically around Valentine's day. And I'm with them every single day until they're eliminated. This year has been very different, obviously with COVID. I don't get to travel with them as I've done the past seven years. I don't get to have that personal interaction with them face to face, but I'm still there every single day. So with baseball, I mean, since there, there are so many games, it's not like the NFL where there's only 16 and this year, no preseason games. It's like baseball's every single day. And while this was only a 60 game season versus 162. You know, I'm still there every single day. So the preparation is just making sure I know all of the storylines, but there's not that much to prepare for when I just talked to them eight hours ago. You know right. what I mean? Just, you know, knowing what the storylines are from beginning to end and, and having known this team as well as I do and been with them as long as I have, it's like, I know what makes them tick. I know who to ask what I know their schedules. I know, you know, um, who likes to talk about, themselves who doesn't who you know they're all better at talking about their teammates and just kind of knowing what each guy ticks is is the biggest preparation now getting ready for the postseason is a little different only because um i don't get to fly with them but i am still going to texas to be in that bubble so just kind of getting the lay of the land of the new park there in texas and making sure we're still delivering a good product for our pre and post game shows and you know, asking intelligent questions and paying attention and, and knowing what's going on in the game. And, you know, it's just it's a daily thing that I've done for so long that it would be different if I was like when I was at MLB Network and I was covering all 30 teams. That's just mm-hmm. a different type of preparation than it is when you're on one one team in terms of a beat. Uh, can you talk a little about that, though, when you were covering all 30 teams? How do you balance that? Because you're not going to know everything about everyone, but I imagine you have to know most things about that. Yeah, it's a lot, you know, it's a different type of preparation. And it was a lot more studying. And the thing with MLB Network is that's really where I learned how to exercise my ad lib muscles and just thinking off the cuff. There's nothing, there's very little there that is scripted. And, you know, I went from the Colorado Rockies where I did not host pre and post game shows a lot to MLB Network where I was in studio doing stuff with no prompter and no anything and really learning on the fly to going to the Dodgers where I host an hour pregame show I co-host an hour pregame show and I have nothing I don't have a you know I don't have a prompter I have nothing I have one page of notes and half the time I don't even have that it's just you get to the point where you just know the team so well that and you and you are a lot more comfortable ad-libbing it's just very studio and reporting are, are two very different things I enjoy them both they're just two very different muscles to exercise yes I believe that that's true and that's a, it's a very good point um when you look back at some of the stories you've reported on, uh, this is a three-part question, so if I need, I can totally repeat it. Um, but I'd love to know one of the most rewarding stories you've ever reported on, one of the most difficult, and then the most fun. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, one of the most rewarding. Oh, geez. Most of the rewarding ones, I think, have come through one of our players doing something for a fan that, was very unexpected. I remember several years back when we still had Carl Crawford on our team, one of our outfielders, he, you know, he came up through the Tampa Bay organization and we went back to Tampa Bay and 
there was a story that was actually brought to my attention um, by Kelly Nash of MLB Network, which she used to be the Tampa Bay reporter. And there was a young man that um, was dealing with some medical and health issues, and he was a gigantic Carl Crawford fan. And just bringing that to the attention of Carl and, and working with our Dodgers PR staff to arrange a meet and greet and an opportunity for this young man to be able to meet Carl. And, um, that, you know, those types of stories are incredibly rewarding where, you know, we talk about for so many people, Dodgers are a release. I mean, sports Mm -hmm. in general are release from their, you know, hectic lives and, and, you know, trying to make ends meet and the, and the single mom or single dad working three jobs and just trying to put food on the table. And, you know, when, when sports are taken away, and that respite is taken away from people. It, it affects people incredibly negatively. So when we didn't think we were going to have a season, I mean, we are we are woven into the fabric of lives of people in this community. So anytime you can tell a story like that, you know, we've had a lot of stories with the cardboard cutouts of fans that, you know, somebody has passed away, but they wanted to make sure that person was in the stands to witness the season and, you know, just dedications to people like that. I think those are the most rewarding stories. Um, the most difficult stories are, you know, off the field stuff with a player that's, you know, gotten into some trouble. Um, you know, one one comes to mind where, you know, a guy had some mental health issues and, you know, you have to report or, or talk about the fact that, you know, he's really fallen on, on, on tough times. And, you know, people see professional athletes as machines and robots and they're not supposed to have feelings and they're not supposed to make mistakes. And they're, they're supposed to be these, these perfect beings and, and people fail to realize they're people first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those types of things um, are difficult, you know, and the most fun, I mean, this has been a team that has done so many incredible things. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to cover seven no hitters in person and some people never see a no hitter and I've seen seven and, you know, I covered Josh Beckett's in May of 14 and then Clayton's first and only so far in June of 2014. And that one was at home against the Rockies. Josh's was in Philadelphia. So we were on the road and Clayton was at home and to be able and that, you know, knowing when to not say anything is important too. And I remember interviewing Clayton on the field after his no hitter and his wife, Ellen had come down from, the family section. And, you know, I asked the questions I felt I needed to ask. And then it was like, this isn't about me. This is about them and their moment. So I just stepped out of the interview and I just let them have their moment. And and those are things that I will remember for a long time. I mean, two back-to-back World Series appearances. I've been to Australia with this team. I've been to Mexico with this team, eight straight division titles, interviewing Sandy Koufax, working with Vin Scully, um, being able to have conversations with the late, great Don Newcomb, who, who's passed away last year and, or, you know, earlier. And it's just not the same without him in the stands. And, um, you know, the legends, Tommy Lasorda celebrated his 93rd birthday yesterday, you know, just the opportunities to work for an organization as classy and as historic as the Dodgers has been a really, really fun portion of, of my, my career. There's, there's a lot of stories to tell and, um, a lot of really fun things we've been able to do. So switching gears again a little bit, um, you had just talked about the cutouts and you and I not only share a passion for baseball, but also for dogs. Um, (laughs) And my two dogs are in the stadium every Ah. game. (laughs) They have their cutouts and it makes me very happy that at least somebody in this house gets to be at the games every day. Um, 
But you recently had started the, and I want to pronounce it correctly. Is it Gidry's Guardian? Gidry. Okay, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, yeah, Gid- yeah. Gidry's-, it's Gidry's Guardian Foundation. Yes. Can you talk about uh, that experience? And then I'd love to know how we can support it. Yes, thank you. Um, Gidry's Guardian Foundation is a nonprofit organization that I established to honor my late dog, Gidry, who was named after Ron Gidry, uh, the left-handed pitcher for the New York Yankees many years ago. And I adopted Gidry in uh, 2009, and he really opened my eyes to the need and the desperate need, actually, for adoption and fostering across our nation. Um, Every single year, over 600,000 dogs get euthanized just because there are no spaces in shelters. There's just, they're overcrowded, especially in these large metropolitan areas like Los Angeles, um, that they don't have the capacity, they don't have the resources, they don't have the dedication to, to save these animals. And unfortunately, one of every 600 pit bulls actually finds a forever home. And they are the most overbred breed in our country with backyard breeding, no legislation to stop backyard breeding. And our shelter systems are overrun with pit bulls. And it's not the breed, it's the owners that do not do these dogs any service. And when I adopted Gidry, it just really showed me that there was such a need for this. And I started the foundation in honor of him. I actually established it officially on the 4th of July of 19. And he passed away like three weeks, not even three weeks after that. But we have had our hand in saving over a hundred dogs. We are, we are not a rescue organization that actually physically has a building. What we do is we, it's 100% donation based. It's all donors. And we help fund the medical to get dogs off of the streets and out of high kill shelters to get them the medical care and vaccinations and everything they need spay and neuter to get them adoptable into their forever homes. So we support rescue organizations that pull dogs or people that find dogs on the streets to be able to get them um, into a forever home. So the best way honestly to help is donations. Um, I'm the only person on my staff. I don't have a staff. I do it all. I I always joke that I work for the Dodgers to save jobs or to save (laughs) dogs because that's all I do. Um, It's my job to save dogs. And uh, you can check us out on social media. It's at Gidry's Guardian, which is G-U-I-D-R-Y-S Guardian, Gidry's Guardian. Uh, Facebook is Gidry's Guardian Foundation. Or you can just go to at Alana Rizzo and, you know, you can find it through there as well. And actually... um, one of our dogs that we needed to rehome was recently adopted by somebody that you probably know, um, Trent Taylor with the San Francisco 49ers. Oh my gosh, that's all I do know, Trent. That's awesome. Say Sarah. Um, and I know Sarah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So Sarah and Trent um, adopted a dog. They named him Howard, but we had found him. Originally, his name was Ollie. And he was hit by a car and left for dead on the road. He had a fractured pelvis and he was oh. a he was a hot mess. So Gidry's Guardian Foundation, in conjunction with some friends of ours through Angels for Animals, rescued Ollie and got him the medical care and the surgery he needed. And then we placed him in a home and then that family needed to rehome him for a variety of reasons. Nothing that he did, but just didn't work out. So Sarah had actually saw what we were doing based on... Uh, my Instagram and she was very interested. So she drove all the way down and picked up Ollie and they have lived happily ever after. So it's now Howard who's um, in Sarah and Trent's family. 
And actually, another friend of Sarah by the name of Bridget, who is the um, TV anchor and reporter there in Sacramento. Okay. She, on Fox 40 there up in Sacramento, she just adopted two of our dogs um, because they were abandoned at a home here in Los Angeles on September 1st. The owners moved out of the house and left them there and just abandoned them. We didn't find out about them until September 11th. So they were by themselves with no food or water. A concerned neighbor alerted us to their issue. They were completely matted, neglected, absolute mess. Um, Gidry's guardian took care of the medical and the grooming. And now Bridget, has, she drove down from Sacramento, adopted both of them. We found them in Montbello, California. So we named them Monty and Bella. But oh, she okay. named them Cinnamon and Spice. And now oh, they're oh. living their best life in Sacramento. So that is what Gidry's Guardian does. And we cannot do it without donations. So, I mean, and, and no donation amount is too small. A dollar goes a long way. And we're beyond appreciative of anything that anyone can do to help support our cause. One of my little dogs, Sadie, was also left at a house. Family moved to just left her there. Yep. And I just that's, don't understand what is. That's the people that we deal with on a daily basis, which is why I like dogs way more than I like people. I could not agree with you more. I have a blanket that says, I love dogs. I like some people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, that is just absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And, and I will be supporting. And if our listeners can as well, I encourage you to do so. So um, big fans of rescue dogs here. That's really just so fantastic that you're doing that, Alana, that just when I was uh, researching, I was really excited to, to see that part. Excited as I was about the Dodgers, I was even much more excited about the dogs. So that's just really fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a, a passion of mine. And hopefully I can, whenever I do leave LA or this earth, I hope I leave it better than I found it. That is fantastic. Uh, so before we get to day in the life, uh, I'm going to go back to a little bit of females in the industry uh, and advice that you have. Uh, number one, what is a misstep that you see women making um, when they're trying to get into the sports industry? Um, I think there's a couple. I think some women go into this wanting to be famous. I think, you know, this is not this journalism is not entertainment. This is not you're not going to be an entertainment reporter. And if you want to just be famous, this is not necessarily the industry for you, because I think if you don't know what you're talking about, you will be exposed. If you are not prepared and you do not know the sport you cover and you do not ask intelligent questions, you will be exposed. And you know, your appearance only gets you so far. And it's important to understand that there's a lot of complicated things in this industry, you know, and covering certain beats that people will see through that, you know, and mm -hmm. they'll see that you're disingenuous and that you don't know what you're doing. So don't go, but don't go into this thinking that you're going to be famous. That's, that's not the way. Um, another misstep is that people assume that, the professional players space is their own. I've seen people go into clubhouses and sit on the floor, sit on their couches. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you, you hear about unwritten rules in baseball and there's a lot of unwritten rules just in a clubhouse of, of being a reporter that is their space. I, and I can't stand being in there. It's like, I want to get in there. I want to do my job and I want to get out. I'm not there to linger. I'm not there to hang out. We are not friends. Um, that is their, that is their home. That is their space. And, you know, it's very important for me to, to let them know, listen, I have a job to do too. Like, let's knock this out and I'll get out of your way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think people try to be buddy, buddy. And, and that's just not, that's not appropriate for women. Um, 
you know, to go into this business and, and professionalism is, is so important. Another misstep is the unwillingness to work, the unwillingness to move, the unwillingness to do what it takes to, to get into this industry and stay. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to do jobs you don't want to do. I lived in Wichita Falls, Texas, and I hated it. Um, I met, you know, a, a very good friend who's one of my best friends to this day. And that's what I, you know, that's what I say. Well, that's what Wichita Falls was for, was to mm-hmm. be Megan. Um, but it was awful. I made no money. I was living in, you know, a, a very, it was, it was tough. I had to make decisions of putting gas in my car to get to work or eating, you know, that type of stuff. I mean, that, those are real, real, real things. Um, just an unwillingness to work, I think, is a misstep. Um, dressing inappropriately, being unprofessional, you know, you got to work hard and you got to, you got to earn it. That is 100% true. Um, All right. So we're getting to two of my favorite parts of the podcast. First, uh, can you take us through a day in the life of Alana Rizzo? Um, It's pretty, pretty basic now. I mean, a day in the life for me is, I typically get to the park three and a half to four hours prior to the game. Um, now I do everything via Zoom, unfortunately. So we'll have a position player or a pitcher made available, do that interview. Then I'll interview Dave Roberts. And then I will do a one-on-one with the player. Uh, when we're at home, the player is on a headset in the dugout and I am on our set in center field. When they're on the road, it's again, all via Zoom, uh, which is super impersonal. And then I host an hour pregame show. When we're at home, I have an analyst. Yesterday it was Jerry Harrison Jr. Today I believe it's Ned Coletti, former GM of the Dodgers. Tomorrow mm-hmm. I think it's Nomar Garcia Para. So I'll co-host an hour show, and then we do the game in game with Joe and Oral. I do three or four different sideline hits. Um, I will always interview Dave Roberts, our manager, during the game, which is new this year, only because of COVID. We've never mm-hmm. done that in the past. Um, and then post game is all indicative and and you know predicated on what happens in the game. So it's just all reactionary. And I'll interview if we win, I'll interview a player on the field, and then um, you know Dave Roberts, and then anybody else made available. If we lose, it's usually just Dave Roberts and the starting pitcher, and then it's uh, you know rinse and repeat. So a lot of it is you know the daily preparation of just knowing what happened the day before. You know when we're traveling. Um, you know, it's different or when we have 162 game season, but, uh, you know, we don't just show up to, if it's a seven ten game, we don't show up at six fifty nine. I mean, we are there yeah. hours ahead of time preparing and interviewing and getting things together for our shows. And, you know, it's a lot more intricate than it probably appears to the viewer. I've had friends in the Bay ask me, they're like, Oh, so it's a, a one o'clock game. Can you meet for brunch at 10? Yeah. And people like, don't. like what? Unless you live the life. Yeah. People don't get it. Or after the game, well, you'll be done around like four and like, I'll be done around eight. So yeah, my, um, favorite is, my favorite is when they ask, well, when does the game end? I'm like, we yeah. literally do not have a clock. Yeah. We don't, we, we just don't know. It always um, makes me laugh. And I try in the beginning, it used to kind of bother me. And then I, kind of realize what exactly what you just said. Unless you live it, you can't understand it. And of course, people think that I could meet for brunch at 10 and then meet them for a drink at 4.30. Um, <laughs> but that, that's not an option. <laughs> just if anybody's listening, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, all right. It's time for five fun facts. Alana, you probably don't know this. I do this with the 49ers players. Uh, it's Well, now we do it on Zoom, but we used to do it from my iPhone and super casual. And it, you know, it would give an opportunity for them to tell us the five things about them that we don't otherwise know. But on this podcast, we do it every week and we ask the same five questions. 
And I say this every week. I love it because we get such different answers every time. And that's what's cool about it. Um, So I'm going to say without further ado, it is time for five fun facts. Okay. All right, Alana, what is your favorite moment in sports? Um, The first Denver Broncos Super Bowl win. All right. That is a good one. Uh, What is your life motto? Make a decision, assume it's right, and it will be. Oh, I like that. That should be on a mug. That's fantastic. Make a decision, assume it's right, and it will be. That is awesome. I love that. What is your go-to workout? Oh, man. (laughs) Drinking wine and eating. Um, (laughs) That's totally fine if that's what it it is. It used to be pre-COVID. It was hot yoga at Soho here in Manhattan, in uh, Hermosa Beach. Um, Now... Is trying to survive a workout. Um, I would say go to workout running. I used okay. to run competitively. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I mean, like a hundred years ago in high school. We're not talking like anything exciting. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, it's exciting to me. I'm not a great runner, so I think it's cool. <laughs> uh, what is your go to coffee order? I don't drink coffee. <gasps> Amazing. That has happened on this pod before. Do you have a tea order or anything you drink in its place, or just no? Nope. Um. I, I, I'm a, I'm more of an evening drinker than a morning drinker. So I'm more of a wine snob than anything. Okay. What is your favorite wine? Um, I'm a big Cabernet Sauvignon fan. Um, sorry. It's Pinot Noir. It's probably sea smoke Cabernet Sauvignon. It's probably Jack winery. Check it out. It's up there in Napa. Um, J C K winery. They have amazing, um, cabs, Pinots. Um, I love, Telegraph. It's a, it's a French wine. It, I'm a, I'm a red wine snob. I have noticed in your Insta stories that there is, <laughs> there is a lot of red wine. So I am glad that you brought this up because, um, red wine is one where I'm always trying to find good ones. So this is, this is very helpful. Uh, and last but not least, is there a book that you think every woman should read? Hmm. Every woman should read girl. Wash your face is pretty good. Um, I'm a huge fan also of, I don't know if I can say it on your podcast, but um, the subtle art of not giving a beep. Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. You can say that. That yeah. one's really good. That's okay. really good. It's about really, you know, you can't, you can, you only have so many Fs to give. Yes. So really think about where you want to allocate your Fs. Like there's so many Fs that we, it's like, it's just a waste of energy and a waste of time. Um so really think about being judicious <laughs> with the with the Fs that you give. I think that's that's important. That's also maybe another good life motto. Yeah. <laughs> be, be judicious with your Fs. Yeah. I think. Be, really, be really judicious with where you want to allocate your Fs because life's too short to just be allocating Fs everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And I think that is the perfect place to end the pod. Alana, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun and, and really just a fantastic, informative, and really fun podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you guys don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.